Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and for worshiping with us today. And I know there are some Super Bowl fans here, so thanks for coming and being with us as well. Um, I recently heard a story about a diehard football fanatic who made his way to the Super Bowl game and was there at the stadium. It was packed out. And as he was sitting there, he noticed that there was a, a seat that was empty. And he was like, man, I can't believe there's an actual empty seat here at the Super Bowl. And so he makes a comment to the woman who's sitting near him, and she said to him, oh, you know, that was uh, my husband's seat, but he, he passed away. And the guy's like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this. I really am, but I'm, I'm still surprised that there's not a family member or a friend who could be with you and would jump at the opportunity to come to the Super Bowl. And she said, yeah, beats me. They all insisted on going to his funeral. Okay. The point is this, that I know that some of you, you would, there's nothing that would get in the way of you going to the Super Bowl or watching the Super Bowl because um, you're diehard fans, and I get it. So I'm glad you're here, and thanks for worshiping. I'm excited for the game today, and I'm rooting for the Seahawks, okay? So there you go. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm excited to be here because today we get to continue on in a series that we started a couple of weeks ago called The Practices of Grace. And the practices of grace really are the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus did that help us grow in our capacity for God. They are truly the gifts of God's grace. See, we come to uh, a relationship with Jesus with, through God through grace. But it's not just that we come to God by grace, but we also continue to grow in God by His grace. And so what we're doing is just simply looking at the tools that God has given us by His grace so that we can continue to grow in Him. And so last, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the practice of confession. And then we talked about the practice of, of listening to God's voice. And today we're going to be talking about the practice of speaking, which is the business of prayer. And I'll just say right out front, I know that when I'm uh, in a crowd like this and around lots of people who are, are seeking God and, and, and serious about, you know, their faith, when I talk about prayer, oftentimes the guilt just immediately kicks in. Because when I'm talking to people about prayer, so often the response is, well, I, you know, I just, I know I'm not praying enough. And my immediate question is, well, how much is enough? Right? right? I mean... Because it's usually the response is, well, it's got to be more than what I'm currently doing. That is, if I'm praying two minutes a day, it needs to be four minutes a day. If I pray for four minutes a day, it needs to be 20 minutes a day. And of course, if I'm praying for 20 minutes a day, that's not enough. I need to be praying for two hours a day. And if I'm praying for 22 hours in the day, I know there's still two more left and I should be praying, right? There's just this, this sense that sometimes when we talk about prayer that that guilt kicks in. And so I, here's what I want to do today. I just want to ask you to just set the guilt aside. Don't have the guilt. And just, I just want you to come and hear the invitation to grow in prayer, to grow when it comes to speaking to God. My hope and my prayer for you is that you wouldn't walk out of this room feeling guilty that you don't pray enough, but that you would be encouraged to say, I can grow in my prayer life, that there's a God who wants to hear from me. That's my heart. That's our desire for you today. Because here's the thing, you can grow in prayer. It is something that you can learn. In fact, when the disciples came to Jesus, it's the thing that they asked him that, they would, that he would teach him to do. Of all the things that the disciples could ask Jesus to teach them, you know what they asked him to teach them? 
They said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's what they asked for. So here's the deal. We can learn to pray. Now, and I want you to hear that and be reminded that you can learn and that you can grow when it comes to speaking to God, when it comes to prayer. But I also know that when it comes to growing in the practice of prayer, there are certain attitudes that creep in that can discourage us when it comes to uh, practicing prayer as well. That I know that in this room, there are a number of people who would say, you know what? I, I know I can pray, but I just don't know if it makes a difference. I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do, so why should I pray at all? I know that there are some people here in this room who would say, you know what, I've just been deeply disappointed by God. I mean, I've told God what I wanted, and He didn't answer. And so I've been, I'm, I'm disappointed by that. I know that there are not a few people here who, at some point, have had their heart broken by God. And you said, at that point, I just gave up praying altogether. Listen, if that's where you're at, today's passage is for you. The scripture we're going to look at today is for you. But I also know that there's people in this room who are saying, yeah, I know that I can pray, but my life is so messed up. I'm so broken. I don't even know if I can come into God's presence, let alone pray. Listen, if that's where you're at, today's passage is also for you. And I know that there are some people here who would say, yeah, I know I can pray. Um, but I just, when I think about all that God has on his plate, you know, running the whole universe and all the things in this world, the stuff that I bring to him, it's so insignificant. It's like, God, help me with, you know, getting a, a parking spot kind of prayers. And it's like, it just seems so trivial compared to all the stuff that God has on his plate. Listen, if that's where you're at, listen, today's scripture passage is for you. Today's scripture passage is for you. Fortunately, the passage we're going to look at today kind of encompasses all of those different questions and all those different things that you might be feeling when it comes to the business of prayer. And so I, want, I hope it will be an encouragement for you as we look at it together. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is the passage we're going to be looking at today. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you receive the handout on your way in here. It has the passage printed for you. Once you find that, let's stand together, please, in honor of God's word, and we'll read this passage. Luke 18, beginning of verse 1 all the way to 17, it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And will not God bring about justice for the chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness, looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a lead pastor, and the other, a drug-dealing human trafficker. You may have some different words in your translation, but trust me, it's the same idea. 
the Pharisee, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Okay. Go ahead and have a seat, and we'll look at it together. So this this passage is really important because it does address some of the core attitudes that we have when it comes to prayer. And again, Jesus wants us to learn and to grow in in the practice of prayer, and so this is a very, very helpful passage. And so uh, the first question, though, of course, is why should I pray? Why should I pray? And that's what Jesus is going to address here in this passage, and it's very, very helpful. So let's start at verse 1, and we'll look at it verse by verse. It says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So just, first of all, a little Bible study um, principle, a little tip here. Um, Oftentimes when we come to parables, parables are stories that Jesus told uh, that have a point. They're, They're stories with a punch. And oftentimes people look at the parables of Jesus and they struggle to say, what is it he means? Trying to understand it, to try to interpret it. But here's the, here's the great news. Always, when you see a parable, there is a, a verse, either at the beginning or at the end, that helps explain why Jesus tells the parable. So it's either on the, the key is either on the front porch or the back porch. It's just a matter of finding where it's at. So you don't have to be a Bible genius to figure that out. And here we go, right up front, Jesus says why he's telling this parable. He says, Jesus told the parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So there you go. He's right up front. Here's why he's telling the story. Now, what's the What's the context? Jesus has just got done talking about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is coming, that he's the king, he brings the kingdom, and so everyone is very interested. Okay, well, when's the, when's the Lord returning? When's the kingdom ultimately going to come? And Jesus says to them, hey, you're not going to know the time and the place. You're not going to know all those details. Um, and there's going to be times that you're praying that the, the kingdom comes, um, and it won't come on your, time, on your timeline. But he says, but don't be discouraged. That's the point. Don't give up praying. Because I know that sometimes, and Jesus knows this, that sometimes when we pray and it doesn't immediately happen, we can get discouraged. This passage says, don't, don't give up praying. And, and, and the other, word, other, way, other translations might say, and lose heart. He's saying, don't lose heart. And so this is why he's saying, uh, and he's talking about prayer. He doesn't want them to, to lose heart in the process. And so then he tells this story. Verse 2, it says this. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So right off the bat, there's a, the first character that he introduces. It's, it's a judge. And I want you to just take out your Western, you know, picture of a judge. It's not a guy in a black robe sitting behind a bench, okay? That's not the, the judge that he's referring to here. 
A judge in the Middle Eastern, oh, ancient Middle Eastern world was um, more of a, a person with a robe, but it was more of a, a sheikh. You would have a, a tent who would be there and would travel uh, to, because the whole point of the judge in the Middle Eastern world was the judge was there to be a defender uh, of people, that people would want to come to the judge and, and hear, um, he, come before the judge because the, the judge was the protector and defender. So here's a thought. Um, in this culture, they wanted to come before a judge. And for many of us, you're like, that's never been my experience. I don't want to come before a judge at any point in time, right? But in this point, they would want to come to a judge because the judge's whole role was to be the defender of the people, to protect them. In fact, the psalmist, you hear about the psalmist, they'll, they'll say things like, God, you are my judge. The Lord is my judge. And the point is this, that the Lord is my defender. That's the whole concept. And so the judge is the defender of the people, and that's their, their role. Um, but it says that this judge neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So this is a dangerous person because the two great restraints in life are not there, a fear of God or a care for people. And if you don't have those two great restraints in your life, you just can do anything and everything you want. And it's a very dangerous person. See, even if you don't have a, a, you're not subject to God, at least if you have a care for people, there's some restraint, Right? Um, but this guy has neither, so he can do whatever he wants. Of course, you can hear a little bit of the echo of the two great commands in Scripture, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love others. This guy's not doing either. Someone who has both of those, they would make a great public servant, right? This guy does not make a great public servant. He doesn't have either. And so um, this is who he is. Then in contrast to him, look in verse 3. But there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So there's a widow in the town. And the widows, of course, were the picture of a person who was quite powerless. Uh, Because especially in the the ancient world, if you uh, were a widow, you didn't have someone to step up for you. You didn't have someone to protect you. So oftentimes when there's not someone there to protect or to stand up, then others will step in and victimize you. It um, will take advantage of you. And someone in this woman's life has t- is taking advantage of her. It says that there's an adversary. She's asking for justice against an adversary. We don't know what's going on. Perhaps some guy has come in and, and is taking away uh, the property that was hers and her husband's now that he's gone or taking away uh, some of the, the livestock, or whatever it is. There's someone who's taking advantage of her, and so she's crying out. She says, it says she's coming to him with this plea, and she says, it says that she uh, keeps coming. She keeps coming. Um, and so the, the picture is this, that um, even though this guy doesn't care about God or about people, that she's, she's always coming to him. She keeps repeatedly coming. And so the picture is, you know, the sheikh opens up his tent in the morning for business to meet the people, and there she is, front of the line. Hi, I've got, I need you to defend me, to speak up for me. He, you know, but the heat of the day, he, he, you know, comes, comes back, takes a little nap, um, uh, and then comes back and opens up the flap. Boom, there she is, front of the line. Hi, it's me again. I need you to, to defend me. I need you to step up for me. He goes into town. She's walking with him going, hey, I need you to listen to me. I need you to defend me. He stops and has a meal at a restaurant. She's knocking on his table saying, 
I'm here. I need you to defend me. So it says she's repeatedly coming to him, and she's coming to him and coming to him. Grant me justice against my adversary. So she keeps coming. The question then is, what does he do in response? Look at the next verse. It says this, for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think. Next verse. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So <laughs> listen to this guy. I mean, it's, it's pathetic, really. He's saying, listen, I, I, I'm, I, he refuses her for a while, but eventually he's like, I'm going to give in. And it's not because he cares for her or her situation or really wants her, her justice for her. He's thinking about himself. He's like, this lady's bothering me. And he's afraid that eventually she's just going to smack him, right? And so he's not thinking about her. He's thinking about himself, and he's trying to avoid a black eye. So he's like, finally, I'll just give her what she wants. And that's the whole, that's the whole idea. Eventually, she'll come and attack me. Verse 6, then it says, Jesus says this, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? And the point on this is, is that Jesus is saying, listen, God is the opposite of that unjust judge. The unjust judge does not care about this woman or is responsive to her, but God, your heavenly Father, is responsive to you. He does care. He's not putting you off. He does want to hear and respond to you. And this is where sometimes this passage can get misunderstood because people can read this passage and think, well, I just have to pester God. I just have to keep praying praying to him and coming to him. And if I pray passionately enough and if I pester him enough, then finally he'll relent and give me what I want. And that's the opposite of what this passage is saying. This passage is saying, no, no, no. God's saying, I want to care for you. You don't have to pester me. You don't have to like squeeze out a prayer and you know, drop a few tears and then finally I'll listen to you. Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm there. I want to listen to you. The Heavenly Father wants to respond. But still we get messed up with this and we think to ourselves, okay, I've got to pester God. I've got to pray, you know, pray enough and then I pray passionately enough. And if I get other people to pray enough, then maybe God will listen. And so we get the, you know, the people who put their prayer on social media and they say, man, if we can just, you know, get enough people praying as if God is up there in heaven listening to our prayers going, okay, 999,000, that's not good enough, Right? You know, oh, a million. Whoa, you just got a million likes. Okay, now I'm ready to respond. That's ridiculous. That's not what God is doing. He, this is not, can I pester him enough, get enough people to get on board and pester God enough that he'll finally respond? No, no, no. The passage is teaching us that God is not like that unjust judge, that he wants to care, that he wants to respond. The question you may have is, well, how do I know that God really cares? How do I know that God wants to respond to my needs and the needs in my life? Can I remind you of the cross of Jesus Christ? It reminds us that God does care, that God does want to step in, that God does want to meet your needs. In fact, I love this verse. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is, while we were still powerless, while we were still condemned, he stepped in and said, I'll take the judgment. And I'll give you life and forgiveness and freedom. That's how much he cares. He's the opposite. He wants to care for us. Now, you may say, well, can I still um, pray? And, I, and if I have this burden on my heart, can I continue to pray? You bet. 
you can pray the prayer over and over. You can continue to bring your heart to God, your requests to God. Um, in fact, we see the Apostle Paul do that in Scripture. The Apostle Paul had a physical ailment. ailment. You may remember he refers to it as his thorn in the flesh. And he comes to God and he says, he says God, will you take this away? Three different times. He says, very specific. Here's what I want you to do. But you know what the answer is? He ultimately gets the answer. And the answer is this, that I'm going to give you more grace. Not that I'm going to take away the physical ailment, but I'm going to give you more grace. Because my gra- by, by grace, um, you're, you're perfected in your weakness. And so it wasn't the answer that Paul intended, but it was the answer that fulfilled him and made him more useful for God because he depended on him even more. So God does respond. He does answer. And he's saying, listen, I am coming and I'm, I, you can come to me and I will respond. Then the next verse says this, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And this is the first part of this verse is where people get stuck. They say, I tell you, you'll see that they get justice and quickly. And many people get stuck here because they think, well, wait a minute. I prayed and I didn't get an immediate response. And so you you, you kind of say, I'm giving up. I'm done. I mean, as if you can come to God and give him your order as if he's like a giant barista in the sky, right? Okay, I'd like a non-fat latte, right? Um, and a, you know, a big house, a great life, and three pumps of vanilla, please, right? That's my order. I'm ready for you to receive it. As if we can come to God in that way. That's not the point. The point here, quickly, doesn't mean that it happens necessarily immediately, but that God responds and it happens suddenly. That is, when God acts, he acts. When he responds, he responds. And it's his timing, not ours. And we just have to recognize that because this is the next part of that verse here in verse 8. It says this, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The point is this. He's saying, listen, he's talking about the kingdom of God to the people, right? He says, the kingdom is coming, but don't give up praying. Will you still have faith even when it's not coming in your time frame, in your, the way that, 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 when you want it to all take place? Will you still trust me? Will you still be praying and not lose heart? That's the whole point. The question is, hey, are you willing to become the person that God wants you to be because he's still shaping you in the process? And God, when he responds, he will respond. And he responds suddenly. He still invites us to come. He invites us to come with faith trusting in him and his timing. That's the, the point there. So then the question then is, okay, so God invites me to come. He wants to listen and he wants to work on my life and increase my faith and, and, and grow, help me to grow in grace. Um, and knowing that God hears, he responds, he cares. Then the question is, but what if I'm in a spot where I'm just, my life is so broken and I feel like I've been so, so far from God, I don't know if I can even approach him and come into his presence. That's where this next parable is very, very helpful. Let me show it to you. It says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So again, Jesus tells the point of the parable right at the front. He says, listen, just the previous parable, it's that we can come to God with anything and we can keep coming. And he hears and responds. This time he's saying, listen, when you come, don't come over confidently um, in your prayers and look down on others. 
But instead, when we come, we pray humbly. So then he introduces us to two characters. Here's the first one. Two men went up to the temple uh, to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. Pharisee, I used the, the, the lead pastor there. And the point is this, that the Pharisees, if you're familiar with the Bible, they don't come off very well. Maybe you've noticed. But the Pharisees were very serious spiritually. In fact, the word Pharisee means to be serious. So they were very serious about their faith. They were very serious about following God. And if you um, were living in that, that ancient world with the Pharisees, you would look to the Pharisees and say, wow, they're super spiritual. That's the whole concept there. So that's, that's the, the Pharisee. But then there's the tax collector, and I use the, the drug-dealing human trafficker, that as soon as I say that, there's a visceral response. We're like, I don't like that guy. And that's the whole point. See, when he says the tax collector, all of them are saying, I don't like that guy. Because the tax collectors were Jewish people who were working for the Roman government. They were traitors, and they would tax their fellow Jews. And so they were traitors, and then the Roman government said, hey, here's our threshold. Here's what we want to get. But if you want to tax anything beyond that, go for it. It's yours. And so not only were they traitors, but as you can imagine, many of those tax collectors charged a bit more so they could stuff a few more bucks in their pockets so they were considered criminals. So they were not well-liked. And this is, the, this is what he's setting us up. And I just need to have that, that feeling in your heart as you, as you hear this story. Verse 11 says this, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So he's coming to God with his prayer. And I want you to notice the prayer is all about him. Uh, look about me. Look about me. It's all about me, me, me. Jesus says we can come and we can ask for things. He says you can ask, seek, and knock. He invites us to come and ask. This guy's not coming with a single request. Do you realize that? He's coming with an intelligence briefing for God so that God knows how wonderful he is. That's, the whole, his, that's his whole prayer. So he's really, in a certain sense, praying to himself. So in a certain sense, you kind of see how far that prayer is really going to go. So he's saying, God, this is me, and you should be amazed. And of course, at some point, yes, it's good that you're not stealing from people or, you know, you know being evil or committing adultery, all that's good. But what he's doing is he's creating a list of the things that, that he's better than everyone else at. And I think this is a caution for anyone who is very, very serious spiritually, that sometimes what we can do is we can make a list of the things that we don't do and hold that over other people and say, yeah, I don't do that, but you do. And we tend to think that we are more spiritual and we're more elevated. It's a very dangerous place to be. So the moment we think, hey, we're better than someone or they, they aren't doing the things that we think that they ought to be doing or they're not doing those things, so we, we, can, we can get in the spot. It is a, a warning to us. So he's just telling them, and he's saying out loud, by the way, how great he is. Um, and it, then in verse 12, it says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So he's not only saying out loud so everyone can hear, here's all the things that I don't do, like that tax collector over there. Here's now he's saying, here's what I do. Here's the amazing things that I do. He says, I, t- I fast twice um, a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So fast, I fast twice a week. Wow, that's amazing especially since the devout Jewish person was only commanded to fast once a year. But he's like, I'm doing it twice a week. And if you ask me, I'm thinking to myself, he's got to be cheating somewhere, right? <laughs> but that's, that's, just what, that's just what comes to my mind. But he wants everyone to know, I fast twice a week. 
Um, that, that's the point. Then he says, and I give a tenth of all that I go. In your translation, it might be a tithe. In the Old Testament, you're commanded to give a tithe, a tenth of all that you bring in um, or you receive, harvest or whatever, as, uh, back to God as an offering. And as you can imagine, um, people then as well as today don't follow that practice. But he wants everyone to know, I follow that practice. I do tithe. I do give a tenth of all I owe, of all that I've received, and I want everyone to know it. So he's pointing out again how great he is. Then the next, next verse says this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the tax collector, he stands at a distance. He won't even look up, and he beats his breast. That is, it's, a, it's a kind of a sign of mourning. He said, God, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't deserve to come to you. This is who I am. I am a sinner. He comes in a remarkably humble way, um, admitting who he is and and praying that to, to the Lord. Then verse 14, look at Jesus' response. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So you're saying, wait a minute, the, the drug dealing human trafficker was justified and not the lead pastor? Yes, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, what does it mean to be justified? It means to be made right before God. He's saying, listen, here's, here's the deal, and this may shock you. That person was justified. Because why? For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's the tax collector who humbles himself and says, here's, here's who I am. God, I admit, I, I don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't deserve this. I'm just recognizing where I am. He comes humbly. This is important for us to get as well, because sometimes in prayer or just in the spiritual life, we think to ourselves, we have to clean ourselves up and get ourselves right before we can go to God. When the real secret of the Christian life, the spiritual life, is to say, no, it's not about me cleaning myself up. It's recognizing I can't, that only God can clean me up. And I come humbly to him, say, God, forgive me. God, I'm powerless. God, I'm broken. I need you to do a work. I need you to clean me up. I need you to make me righteous. That's the, 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 the secret here. And it's so important that we get it. So this is what um, he says. But again, um, what, the, what the other question that you, some people may have is not just that, that that we may say, oh, I'm so messed up, I can't come to God. Jesus made it clear. Yes, that's the whole point. You come to me because you are messed up, and I want to help bring you wholeness and be make you right before God. But then some of you are saying, but the stuff that I have in my life just seems insignificant, and that's why I give you that last little story here um, in verse uh, 15. It says this, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. So um, Jesus is there, and people were bringing their kids, their babies to Jesus, and the disciples are pushing them away, saying, hey, listen, this is Jesus. He's the one that's bringing the kingdom. He's the Messiah. We've got serious ministry stuff to do. So he's, they're, they're pushing them all away. This isn't the day for a parenting seminar. Come on, people. This is the Messiah. He's bringing the kingdom. Serious stuff. That's what they're saying. They're pushing them away. But Jesus saw this, and he rebuked them. Verse 16, he says this. But Jesus called the children to him, to him, and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who, does, who will not receive the kingdom of God like a, ch- a little child will never enter it. So Jesus is saying, No, no, bring the children to me. 
And the children, um, it, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. It doesn't, so he's not saying that the, the kingdom belongs to children. He's saying to such as these. And the question is, well, what does it mean to come as a child, to come with childlike faith to enter in the kingdom? And the answer is to just look at a little baby. How does a little baby, because it's talking about babies coming to Jesus, how does a little baby come to Jesus? Not on their own, right? They're completely dependent upon a parent or someone else. When that little baby is handed to Jesus and he's holding the baby, is the baby bringing anything to Jesus or giving anything to him? No, maybe a little spit up, maybe a little dirty diaper. That's it. They're not, not bringing anything, right? They're entirely dependent, and this is the whole point. Jesus is saying, you come dependent upon me. You come and say, hey, it's not what I bring, God. It's just that it's what you bring. And he's saying, listen, he's a, heaven, he's a father who delights in his children. This is important for you to get. For those of you who are like, yeah, I just can't bother God. He's just too busy. He got too much stuff on his plate. No, he's a father that delights in his children. And it's not what you bring, but it's, it's his joy in holding you. It's his joy in hearing from you. It's his joy to spend time with you. I love spending time with my kids. I love spending time where we're interacting, where they're talking to me, and I get a chance to listen to them and talk with them. That's the Heavenly Father's orientation towards you. You come. But it's not saying, God, look how great I am that I come. It's that I come saying, God, I don't have anything to bring, but I know that you'll still receive me. And anything I bring to you, you'll say, yeah, still come still come. Jesus is calling you. He's saying, come to me. Come talk to me. Speak to me. Enter into that relationship. That's what he's calling for you. And this is the beauty of the practice of prayer, that we are invited by God to grow in what it means to speak to God, that any one of us can come and we can keep on coming, knowing that he listens and he cares and he responds that we can come even if we're badly broken and messed up, that he still wants us to come. Even if we're saying, God, I don't have anything to give you, he still says, I want you to come. Speak to me. That's the practice that we get to grow in, that we get to learn. Now, before we go, I do want to help you to learn and to say, how can I continue to grow in this practice? This great invitation is there. Well, how can I grow when it means, when it comes to prayer? And so what I want to do is just give you a couple of best practices. I don't know about you, but I love best practices. I listen to, you know, leadership best practices and, you know, spiritual best practices, parenting best practices. I love listening to what people have come up with and people practice and do um, to help them move forward. And so what I did is I just asked the staff, um, our staff here at South Hills, to just share some of their practices, their best practices um, that, you, that we could be encouraged by as well. So I just want to share a couple of things from our staff. Here's Doug Slachter. He's our student ministry director. Here's one of the things that he said. He said, start speaking to God in the morning and keep the conversation going all day long. I love that. It's just a, it's just a, a, a reminder that's like, yeah, it's a personal God. We get to start, hey, God, here I am. I don't know all that I want to say to you today, but I, I want to keep the conversation going. It's practicing the presence of God, saying, God, you're with me, and being reminded of that. It's an ongoing all-day conversation that we can have with God, and he invites us to come. I love that statement. Doug also said this. I thought it was great. Um, go for a prayer walk. Sometimes we do get stuck and we're like, oh, I don't know what to pray for. Or, I just, just, or maybe yeah, there's a, some exercise or thing you do. He just says, hey, attach prayer to it. If you like to walk, uh, you know, attach prayer to it. If you like to, um, when you're driving, 
attach prayer to it. If, you're, if you, there's some other hobby you have, attach prayer to it. Do it while you, while you walk. And I think what, what Doug was saying, which is so great, when you're walking around and maybe around your house, you might see neighbors and you're like, ah, I got to pray for that one, right? Because they kind of bug me. And you maybe say, I got to pray for him, right? And then maybe you walk by some other neighbor, you're like, ah, I just love this neighbor and I just want them to, to, uh, to know them more, to help them grow uh, in their own faith. And so you pray for people and things as you walk. In fact, if you're a walker, here's my encouragement to you. Come walk at South Hills Church. Walk around our church. Would you pray for our church when you do that? Pray for our leaders. Pray for the people here. Pray for our community. I, I would love that. But you can attach prayer to things that you do every day. Here's another one from Doug. Let your kids see you pray. Let your kids see you pray. I love this. It's great. Doug's a dad, of course, and many of you are parents. Um, and it's, you're never, never too old, right, to, to, say, to help your, parent, your kids see you pray. You model when they're little, but you model when you're old. You're still modeling something for them. Jesus prayed privately, but he also prayed publicly. He prayed so his disciples would see. He prayed with them. And they, that's what attracted them. They're like, Lord, teach us to pray, right? They saw him pray. And they're like, wait, we want that too. So pray with your kids. Uh, let them see it. It's a great modeling a discipleship tool, no matter what age uh, your family is. Then here's the next, next one. Here's from Ryan Johnston. He's our worship director. Um, he said this, build a time to pray into your daily schedule. And I like this too, because if you want to form a habit, um, you got you to gotta sometimes just say, this is when I'm doing it. You got to set a time, set a place, make it simple, but say, yeah, this is when I pray. This is the, when I sit in this chair, that's what I'm doing. When I'm on my drive to, to work, that's what I'm doing. You set it into, you build it into your calendar and say, yep, I want to pray, God. I want to talk to you and I'm new to this, trying to figure it out, but I want to build it into my calendar because I want it to be a habit that sticks. And I just think that's great. Here's another one from uh, Doreen Miller, our communication director. Uh, She said, stop and pray at any moment of your day. And this is great too, because it doesn't have to be a set scheduled time, but you can just say, hey, I just need to stop right now because I'm, I'm excited. I just need to say, thanks, God, or I'm frustrated. I say, God, I need your help, or God, I just need, I'm, just, I'm about to blow up on this person, so give me patience. You can stop and pray at any moment, and that's great. It doesn't have to be scheduled. It could be a one-sentence prayer. It could be two words, God, help. That's it. He will hear you, and he cares and wants to respond. You can do that at any point of your day. Here's another one from Doreen I thought was great. She said, write down your prayer requests and keep a record of the answers. This is a great reminder. For sometimes we get discouraged, but um, when we stop and say, here's the things that I've been praying for, and then we look back and we say, oh, God, you answered that. Not in the way that I thought, but, man, you totally and, and completely uh, came through. Or God, here's, what, here's what I see, how I've also seen you working and how you stepped in in my life and the life of my family just to celebrate and to see how God is working in your life and, re, and by recording them. It, it's so good. Here's another one. This is from Matthew Houston, our groups and outreach pastor. He said, pray with your kids at night. I love this because he just, he just simply saying, hey, when you're putting the kids to bed, it's a great time to pray. But it's, it's cool because Matthew is reading the books that we've used as resources out there. One of them is the Habits for the Household. And in the book, it was talking about how sometimes, you know, parents, it's kind of a frantic frenzy to get your kids to bed. It's kind of like, kind of throw them in there and like, stay, right? That's kind of like sometimes it can happen, especially you have young kids. And then it's awkward at that moment. Now, let me pray for you. And, you know, it's just kind of, it's kind of like, ooh, that's kind of a big transition from screaming at them to praying for them. But 
Maybe that's a good reason to pray, so I'm not going to discourage you. But sometimes, maybe just in the frantic busyness of life, you're like, ah, it just, I, just, I just got him there. But here's, here's what he, he said, which was great. The next thing, and this is kind of from that book, was pray over your kids outside of their door at night. So maybe you forget in the frantic busyness of the night or the evening, or you're just kind of just stopping and you just say, okay, I'm outside that door. I'm going to pray for, for my child. I'm going to stop and I'm going to lift them up. I know that stuff that's going on, I'm praying for them or I'm just, uh, just for their faith, whatever it might be. But you just, a moment to pray. And you know what? You don't have to be, um, you know, in a physical location to still kind of picture where your kids are and say, God, I got to pray over them every night. I want to pray for where they're at. And God, I may not even know where they're at right now, but you do. I'm praying for them. That's a, that's a beautiful picture. And I just think it's a great encouragement, a great practice. Here's another one. It's from Heidi Fisher, our children's ministry director. She said this, pray while you're reading the Bible. And then when, you're, when something stands out to you while you're reading, stop and pray. And I put an exclamation mark because if you know Heidi, it's got punctuation with it, right? So she's like, I'm reading. I see something I like. Pray. Say, God, thank you for this or help me with this, whatever it is. And I just think what a great practice to combine the two, prayer and, um, and uh, Bible reading. George Mueller, who's known for his p- great prayer life, st- talks about how it's when he incorporated Scripture reading and his pra- into his prayer life that it was far more rich, r- far more richer prayer life um, when he uh, combined the two, which is a great thing to be reminded of. And here's another one from, from Daoud Kua, who is our uh, cornerstone um, African ministries uh, pastor. Um, he said this, pray short or long, God's good with either. <laughs> I love that. And then Daoud, uh, when I was talking to him, he's like, and I'm ready to do both. And I, I just love that orientation. See, when Jesus prayed um, in the Bible, that great example prayer, it's just a few sentences. So I think sometimes people get caught up thinking, I've got to give like paragraph and, you know, novel prayers to, to God when Jesus did sentence prayers. And I think it's okay for you to stop and say, oh, a sentence prayer is okay. And I can pray short and there's times I need to pour out my heart and it needs to be long. Great. God just wants to hear from us. He just invites us to come. In your life groups this week, I encourage you to share more practices, practices that you use, practices that you picked up, and learn from each other to continue to grow. See, because you can learn a lot about prayer. You can even pick up a lot of best practices about prayer, but the payoff is when you pray. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Pray this week. Make it simple. Make it sweet. Find a time. Set it aside. You pray. It'll change your week, okay? Let's take a moment and let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the invitation that you give us to speak to you, that you are not like the unjust judge who does not care, but you are a God, a heavenly father who cares deeply, a heavenly father who wants to respond to the needs in our life, the hurts in our life, the questions in our life, that you are a heavenly father who wants to hold us like a child, wants to bring us close. We just thank you for that. That you don't reject us. That we can come to you no matter what. We can come to you even as a broken, sinful person who feels like we don't even deserve to be in this place or to be in your presence, but that you call us and you say, come. We thank you for that. We thank you for the clear demonstration of your love for us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. 
that even when we were powerless, when we were sinful, um, that you stepped in with your great power and because of your love made it possible for us to be right with you through faith in your grace, through Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for that in your name. Amen.